Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. All right, man, you ready for some gospel? Everybody say the gospel means, means what? For every person that comes here, you know what the gospel literally means. It means good news, right? The early church would have said the gospel means the too good to be true good news. Watch this. But yet it's true, right? So watch this. If what you believe about the gospel isn't too good to be true, then it ceases to be good news. You ready for this? There is no bad news to the gospel. He didn't say it's the 80% good news, 20% bad. You can hear a moth pee on a cotton ball right now. I'm telling you, it's quiet up in here, right? This is for good news. Well, who's it good news to? Is it good news to those that just say a prayer? Ooh. Let me just tip over some religious mindsets. At the birth of Jesus, the angel made this annunciation. He said, behold, I bring you glad tidings, which shall be great joy to all people. Whoa, why is it great joy to all people? Because what this God-man was getting ready to do would affect and impact all people to the same degree that Adam's fall in a garden did, Jesus said. Whatever sin did, where sin did abound, guess what? Grace will the much more abound. And I want to say this to you as we get started this morning. God will not be outdone by sin. Because where sin does abound, Romans 5, grace does the much more abound. So my heart is filled this morning. I just want to share some of this too good to be true good news for you. I'm going to read one familiar passage. I have a lot. Um, I'm going to read John chapter 3. I'm going to read, um, I'll start with verse 16 and I'll read down to verse 19. John 3, 16 down to verse 19. And then maybe, gosh, man, I don't know. I'll just quote some more to you. I always say we got to make it a legal service in America. It doesn't matter if you quote 27 scriptures, but you got you to read a Bible verse so people get offended. It's funny. I'll probably read from Romans 5, verse 8. Five, verse 8, Romans 5 and 8. John 3, verse 16. I know I'll read that one. This is a refrigerator verse, right? This is a bumper sticker verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you always hear that verse quoted, or you hear, you know, a religious person say that verse, but you never hear verse 17. You never hear verse 17. Here's verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to what? 
God didn't send Jesus to judge the world. Sorry for the people that love that. If you keep on reading, you know what John's going to tell you. If you keep on reading this, this letter right here, you know what John's going to tell you. For God has given all judgment to his son. Then you know what, then you know what the son's going to This is Jesus talking, by the way. And then Jesus says, but the son judges no man. Because God didn't come to judge us. You know why? Because we were already judged. The judgment was given. You, know, you really want to know who judged us? We judged us. You know who your worst critic will always be? No, it's not your spouse. No, it's not your boss man. It is going to be I. <laughs> it is going to be yourself. Like, whoa. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We did a pretty good job of that already. Comma. But why did he send him? For God did not send him into the world to condemn the world or judge the world. Comma. But he sent him, watch this, that the world through the son might be saved. Jesus, that's good. He said, I sent him to save the world, not to judge the world. And by the way, when you read world there, it doesn't mean planet earth. Like, like actually, if you look it up in the Blue Letter Bible Translation app, it means the orderly arrangement of every created thing. God said, I'm coming to save the orderly arrangement of everything that's ever been made. And I'm doing it not by a church service. I'm doing it by the life of my son. I'm saving, it's the Greek word cosmos. I'm saving every created thing, visible, invisible, known, and unknown. I'm saving everything by way of my son. Watch this. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. What judgment? That light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so this was the judgment. Remember, Jesus is actually talking to people who were living upon a law-based Judaistic system. They were so judged because of the law, they didn't know the difference between up and down. And the people that were supposed to be the closest to God, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they were killing everybody in the name of God. I ain't saying nothing. Y'all don't know them preachers. We stone everybody. You get a, they, the Oprah Winfrey anointing. You get a stone, you get a stone, you get a stone. You, we all get stones. Everybody is getting stoned. Right? But Jesus said, I didn't come to bring y'all judgment. You did a pretty good job of that on your own. But I came to lift it by way of the sun, right? Romans 5 and 8. Let me read that one, and then I'm going to share some gospel with you. <clears throat> Romans 5 and 8. <clears throat> you guys okay? But God, let me, oh man, I'm going to read Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. It's just too good not to read. For when we were still without strength... Ooh. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were what? Without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, did he wait for them to become godly before he died for them? Did he wait for you to stop sinning before he died for you? Did he wait for you to think you were righteous before he died for you? He said, no, I'm going to do it in your time of weakness when you don't have any strength. That's when I'm coming. 
See, in, in due time, Christ died for those who were without strength and they were ungodly. Okay, verse 7, he says, Paul, this is Paul. He said, you know what, man, for, scarcely for a righteous man, somebody will die. If you can find a good man, I'll die for you, man. You're a good man. You're a good man. He said, but for a good man, someone might even dare to die. But the truth is you and I, by nature or deeds, were not good and we definitely weren't righteous. So verse 8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this truth, that while we were still missing the mark, He died for us. And let me read verse 9 because it's too good to stop. Much more then, having now been justified by the blood of Christ, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Listen, he said, if you think you were an enemy of God and as an enemy you were reconciled, how much more, now that you've been reconciled, will you not be saved by his life? If he saved you when you were an enemy and that's good, how much more don't you think he's going to give to you now that you're walking in his life? I want to talk to you guys about one simple thought today, and that is the God that refuses to be separated from humanity. Have you ever lost anything that was valuable? I got the gift of losing things. Ask my wife. Especially this week. I've lost my car keys multiple times this week. Been locked out of my car one. Thank you, oh, thank you, AAA. Thank you, Jesus. Lost my wallet. I lost my phone this morning. Caitlin lost my church keys. Where you at, Caitlin? You in here? Out, out there doing something. Lost my dumpster keys this morning. Right? I was asking people, you seen, any, you seen any blue string keys, any blue string keys? When you lose something that has no value to you, you don't care about really finding it. Like, like I have a big pen in my Bible. I had one anyway. I have a big pen. If I, if I lose that, it's gone. What happened to it? I lost it. But if I lose my Mont Blanc, that's a $500 pen. I'm going to turn over every chair in the house. Why? Because it has value to me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Ben, to find that thing. I'm willing to exert energy, strength. I'm bringing in my mental faculties. I'm calling Katie. I know we were together yesterday at the restaurant, but do you remember if I had this thing? You will check places for stuff you never... You check the freezer for that pen. Have you ever did that? Like, I'm checking a gas tank in the car. Is there a pin in there? You check everywhere because you want to make sure it's not there. So, if it has value to it, you don't mind searching for it. You actually don't want to be separated from it. With that thought in mind, let me read to you some Bible from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We know it as the lost and found chapter in the New Covenant. What we never talk about in this chapter is context, and we don't talk about audience. Everybody say this. Say, context is king. Now say this. Say, a text taken out of context 
leaves me with con. I'm doing my best, Jacob. Listen to the context and the audience of Luke 15. Verse 1. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. Everybody say, him is Jesus. Watch this. You got tax collectors, which we still hate to this day. And we, and we have sinners, people that were missing the mark. Which, by the way, these were Jews, people that were doing everything they can to keep the law still breaking it. They were there. Jesus is there. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were really there to listen and to learn. They, 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 they there to get something. But this next group of people, watch this. Verse 2, and the Pharisees, these were the religious preachers of Jesus' day. They wore the nice suits, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes, they wrote down everything, especially if they thought it, it, it had a hint of God on it. They recorded everything. But these complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. See, I grew up in church where you didn't receive sinners and you didn't eat with them, except that's what religious people did. But, but the religious people here are telling us the way Jesus treated people that didn't believe the way he believes, think the way he think, thought. They said, this guy actually receives them and he what? Why is that big? Because in his day, one of the greatest things you could do for anybody was have a meal with them. So Jesus said, I'm going to receive the ones that religion kicks out and I'm going to eat with the ones that religion always separates. And these people in the days of Jesus, Pharisees and scribes primarily, had figured out how to weaponize the scriptures. And they had figured out that they could take the writings of the Lord and use them to really make people feel distant from God and make themselves feel good. Literally, the word, if you look the word Pharisee, you could could Google it. What does the word Pharisee mean? It literally means separated ones. And they weren't separated because they lived separated. They were called the separated ones because they were specialists at separating people from God. Ain't nobody saying anything right now. This is the context. And he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having 100 sheep, if he loses one of those sheep, does he not leave the 99 sheep in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now, why would you leave 99 found anything and go after one lost anything? I can only think of one reason. It means something to you. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder and starts rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and all of his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus says, And I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. Heaven views repentance or being found as a special thing. Notice, did the sheep find itself? The sheep was lost. Listen. 
But you can't be lost unless you belong. The sheep was displaced, but it was never disowned. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I said it was lost, but only because it belonged. It was displaced, but never disowned. And the owner of it didn't wait for it to come try to find him. Watch this. Now the next parable. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, will she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds that coin? If you lose your paycheck, I know what's about to happen. Everybody getting off every video game, every TV is getting cut off. We're about to go through this house until we find it. Like this woman must have been Mrs. Jones. You ready? Right? And when she finds it, she calls, but which by the way, I love this. This is, I'm going I'm to I'm show you something in the Bible right here. Her goal was not to clean the house. A secondary consequence of her looking for what she lost was that her house got cleaned. You can tell people that are really in pursuit of something, Jeremiah, because I'm telling you, you'll watch their life begin to get cleaned up. Like anyone, just keep, I'm going to say that and keep on going. When she found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. And likewise, Jesus says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right? This time, he's fixing to tell another parable. This time, first time it was a lost sheep. Second time it was a lost coin. And the third time, watch this, it's a lost son. At least that's the heading of your Bible. But the real reality is it's two lost sons. One boy was lost in the house. And another boy was lost outside of the house. We always talk about those that get lost outside. We don't talk about those that get lost inside. What, does, what do these parables tell us? These parables are proof that God said this. I'm not waiting for you to get it right. I'm not waiting for you to start living righteous. By the way, that sheep never said a prayer. That coin never said a prayer. And that lost boy never said a sinner's prayer the way we teach it here in America. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change the way that you think. The repentance happened first in their mind. Repentance has less to do with direction primarily as it does a transformation in the mind. A lot of people try to change directions first without changing how they think. And if you try to change directions in your life without changing how you think first, you will inevitably end up going the same old direction. Right? But that's why we need a change of how we think first. Right? That, that's real repentance. What do these parables tell us? That our God is primarily first a father who will find a lost sheep. He will find a lost coin. He will find a lost son. It doesn't matter. He will clean a house. He will go through a great distance walking in the wilderness till he finds the sheep. It doesn't matter. At the end, he says, let me tell you one more story. I'm also the father that stands home. I'm flickering the light on the front porch looking. Are you out there? Are you coming? I am looking for you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're lost away from home or you're lost in the house or you don't have a clue where you are. He says, I'm the God that refuses to be separated from you. 
I mean, how would you find God anyway? Nobody never found God because God's never been lost. We've never found the Lord. He's never been lost. How do you find the Lord? No, you didn't. He's never been lost. We just became aware of what was already provided for us by way of the cross. You know what the incarnation teaches us? You know what the end? We talk about the incarnation one time a year in most churches, and that's at Christmas. The incarnation is when God takes on human flesh and the creator is given, he is brought to the earth by way of birth. But watch this, the creator gets born by his own creation. Think. The father of the universe gets fathered by his own creation. Pure spirit becomes 100% human. And it wasn't by accident. Jesus Christ coming to the planet and becoming one of us, choosing to be as we are, was proof that God says, I refuse to ever be separated from humanity ever again. What happened in a garden when Adam fell in sin was what we call the illusion of separation. Two of the greatest lies ever in religion is one is that you could be separated from God. Two is this thing of time. God comes and he says this, I will never be separated from you. Why? If you as a natural father and mother noticed your kids fall, when your kid fell, would it make you want to run away from them when they fail? Now, it's quiet up in this Baptist church, and we ain't Baptists, but you get the point. It's quiet up here. Would, would your kid falling and getting hurt, would it make you want to say, oh, you shouldn't have fell and got hurt. I'm going to run away from you. That don't even work in human parenting. But we say the God of the universe, who defines himself as love, as perfection, we say that he sees his kids fall and that then he separates himself from them. But no, 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 no. The separation that we feel is never from God toward us, is always from us toward him. So Adam falls in a garden and God doesn't hide himself from Adam. Actually, Adam attempts to hide himself from God, but you can't do that either. Because God is behind every tree. He's behind every rock. He's behind every lie. He's not the real. I'm just saying he's there waiting for you. And God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Right? Was Adam and God playing hide and go seek? Some of y'all don't know what that is. Just Google it. Right? I like to say there was a time kids used to actually go and play outside. But God says, Adam, where are you? Watch this. Did he ask Adam that because God didn't know where Adam was? Or did Papa ask Adam that because Adam didn't know where Adam was? And you have a lost man who can't find himself. You ever been lost? Like really lost? Ready for this? I was lost, Gabe. I was lost in pornography for about 12 years. And I couldn't find myself. I was lost, Malik, in false humility for a number of years, man. And I couldn't find myself. I was lost 
and my parents' divorce and how it, what it did inside of me, and I couldn't find myself. And I'm going to tell you something. I was in church three nights a week, and I couldn't find myself. I was lost in the house, and I couldn't find myself. But our God says, I'm never waiting on you to find yourself. So Paul wrote to the people who lived in Rome, real pagans. You know what? You should read history and watch what Rome would do to the nations when they conquered them. Watch what Rome would do to your spouse. Watch what they would do to your children. Watch how Rome treated their enemies. And then watch what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And he said, you guys, for a righteous man, you might would die. For a good man, some would even dare to die. But he's trying to get them to see, ain't none of us righteous and ain't none of us good anyway. We are the next group of people. He says, but us, because we weren't righteous or good, but us. While we were still in our sin, still sleeping around, still insecure, still judging everybody else. I'm still comparing my, my, you know, my marriage to Alex's, my businesses to Alex's. I'm comparing my skills to, to Michael's. I'm comparing my car to Malia. I never did this. I'm just, this is what we do in South Edmond, not North Edmond. But anyway, I'm comparing my life to your life. God says, why you were like that, that's when I'm coming for you. And the incarnation is God saying, I'm not waiting for humanity to come and find me because you can't come up here to where I am. But I'm going to do for you what you can never do for yourself and you definitely can't do for me. I'm going to cross the chasm of time. I'm coming for you. I'm going to cross the chasm of eternity. I'm coming for you. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm not going to wait for you and your flesh to put on spirit as spirit. I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going to become like you and word will become flesh and dwell among us and I will let you behold my glory as the only begotten of the Father who is full of grace and truth and you will watch me, God, be forever tied in the incarnation to humanity. It's called the incarnation. And from this day forward, really 2,022 years ago forward, Jesus has forever been a human being. Do you know that right now there's a human being in the Trinity? No, 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 no. Hold your applause. Do you know that there is a human being in the Trinity? And do you know that just as in Adam all flesh was born, that Paul called Christ the last Adam? And in this new or last Adam, now all flesh has been born. And for the last 2,022 years, nobody has ever been born in the first Adam because Jesus completely annihilated it. There's only one man you can be born in because of the work of the cross. And when Jesus died, Paul told the church at Corinth, uh, he said, if one died for all, then all died. So Jesus comes as the last Adam, saying, I refuse to be separated from you. I'm going to forever be united with you. By way of the incarnation, I'll be creator and creation. I'll be God and man. And I'll be just like you. And I'll die not my death. I'm going to die 
Ben's death, Gabe's death, Katie's death, Jacob's death, Malik's death, Alyssa's death. I'm going to die all humans' death, past, present, and future for all time. And I'm going to be put in the grave. So that history will look back and say, if one died for all, then all died. And I'm going to stay dead for three days, at least my body anyway. But in three days, I'm getting up. And if one died for all, then all died. Let me give you the full context of the revelation. If one died for all, then all died. But if one lives for all, then all live. And the same one who died for all, who was crucified for all, who was buried for all, who stayed dead three days for all, the same one after three days got up for all, was resurrected on behalf of all, and now ascended into the heavens as all. So much so that I don't care if you live behind Walmart in a box, or you live in this city in Galardia, in the nicest house that this city has to offer you, Jesus can look and say, I died for that one, I died for that one, I died for that one, yes, I died for the porn addict, I died for the alcoholic, I died for the gossiper, I died for the one who thinks he never did anything wrong, I did it for all, why? Because I refuse to be separated from anybody. You know why? Because because of the cross, this day, there has been made peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, Paul. So that now God can say, I have no enemies. Do you know that our, our Abba has no enemies? Do you understand that? Come on, darling, if you don't mind. I said, our Abba has no enemies. Matter of fact, when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, Jesus didn't say, pray for my enemies. He didn't have any. I died for every Jew and non-Jew. Every Hindu. Every Muslim. Every Greek. Every barbarian. Paul Ryan said the Scythians. He, he died for everybody. Even tax collectors. Yes, I died for tax collectors. He died for people that work at Popeye's. I mean, I can't, I can't think of any more bottom of the barrel I can get, but he died for people that work at Popeye's. He did it. I had a guy come up to me last week. Is he here? Is Lloyd Moore here? I don't even know. Lloyd came up to me last week. He said, Pastor? I took somebody out to eat one time. You know what they said they wanted to go? I said, no, Lord. He said, Popeye's. I said, ugh. He said, they said they enjoyed it. I said, well, we all been deceived at least one time in our life, Lord. I don't know what to do. All of my duplicity. There is no distance that our God by way of his son hasn't crossed. I want to say something. There really isn't a mountain you and I ever have to climb up because he did it. It's called Golgotha. Me and my wife went there. We went to Israel, I believe 2018 or so, 2017. It's called the place of the skull. And he hung there six hours on a Friday. It should have took a man about three days to die, but they had so disfigured Jesus Christ that what should have took three days, he died in six hours. But while hanging on the cross, he was forever fusing humanity and divinity. And he was eternally bridging the gap from God to man and from man back to God. He was literally the repairer of the breach that man could not repair on their own, Caleb. 
And John, John, 40 years after every other apostle had went to sleep with the Lord, they convinced him to write a letter. And he wrote the gospel of John. And he doesn't write starting off like the others writing about genealogies and all that other stuff. And I'm grateful for that. John writes this. He says, in the beginning was the word. By the way, that don't mean your Bible. That doesn't mean a 1611 King James Bible. Americans. Because the word of God has never been a book. The word of God has been a living being. He's a man. Jesus is God's logos. He is God's word. In the beginning was Jesus. The word of God. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him there was not anything made that had ever been made. And in him was life. And his life was the light of not some mankind. But his life was the light of all mankind. This is Jesus man. He is the word of God. By the time you get to John chapter 3, there's this guy named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He knew the scripture. He'd heard enough about Jesus' miracles and heard him teach enough, gave to know there's something different about this Nazarene dude, man. Something different about him. I got to go. Something different about him. And he sneaks to where Jesus is one night, one night because he couldn't go in the day because he would lose position, title. So he sneaks by at nighttime. I always say that's the first Nick at night. Google it. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, listen, John 3 and 1. He says, I know that you are a man who's sent from Abba because can't nobody do the things you're doing unless God sent him. Now, Jesus hadn't did a lot to this point. He turned water into wine. He healed a centurion's son. He hadn't did a whole lot. But he said, you've done enough for me to know there's something different about you, man. You've drove out demons. We can't do it the way you do it. And Jesus says, Nicodemus. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. He says, born from above. You got to be born of water and of spirit. This is, this is Jesus talking. And novel Nicodemus, who is a trained teacher, says, um, I'm an old man. What do you mean reborn? You understand Jesus just introduced to him a topic that had never been thought of in the cosmos. And he literally says, do I crawl back up in my mom and come out? Because he didn't know. He was being sincere. And Jesus says, no. He said, that's a physical birth. When a baby's born, that's a physical birth and it's real. He said, but I'm talking about a spiritual birth that's as real as a natural birth. And then he says this, that which is born of flesh is flesh, fleshly birth. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's spiritual birth and it's real. And he said, the wind blows where it wants to, and you don't control where it comes from. In other words, going, and he says this, and so are they who are born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is like, I just don't get it. He said, oh, baby, you'll get it this way. He said, do you remember when the children of Israel were complaining in the wilderness over a thousand years ago? And snakes came out and began to bite them, and they began to die. He says, yes, I remember that. He said, do you remember what Moses did? It's all in John 3. He said, you remember how Moses took a bronze pole and he, he sculpted a serpent on it and he, and he held it up? And he said, whoever looks at this serpent, you'll live. 
and the plague will be stopped. He said, I remember that. You know, to this very day when an ambulance comes flying by you, if you look on side of that ambulance, you'll see a stick and you'll see a serpent. To this very day, you'll see a serpent wrapped around it. It's a sign of help. If you, if you see us coming, we're going to save a life. What do you think they got that from? Oh, you know what? You know what a good symbol of life will be? Let's take a stick and wrap a serpent around it, and we'll put it on the side of every ambulance, and they'll know when they see that stick and serpent, they'll know we're coming to save lives. But that's gospel, folks. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you remember the story? Nicodemus said, I remember that story. He said to that same way, Abba loves the world, and he's sending his only begotten son, and he's going to crawl up on two pieces of wood, and he's going to be engulfed in the wood. And a fusion is going to happen between humanity and divinity. In the same way, everybody who looked at that serpent on that piece of wood lived that day. When you lock your gaze in with the Son of God on this two pieces of wood, he said, life will come to all humanity. Because God didn't send me to judge any of y'all. For God did not send me to the world. That the world through me would be judged. He said, but he sent me that through me, the whole world would be saved. Nicodemus initially was not a believer but at the end of Nicodemus's life you see him saying I'll give a position title and everything and Nicodemus goes to Pontius Pilate and he said will you give me the body of Jesus will you give me his body you can keep my position you can keep my title you can keep all of the religious stuff but I am not willing to be separated from the man who was never willing to be separated from me come on stand to your feet Jesus, I'm not willing to be separated from the man who was not willing to be separated. Hey, listen, I want to be just as transparent as I can. I still make mistakes. This has been one of the most stressful weeks I've had in the last three years of my life. Because Christians are crazy. If I told you what I'm facing right now, you'd say, Pastor, yeah, you got it. I'm mean, I, I mean, very, very, it's crazy. Very stressful week. But regardless of where I've been, what I've done, who I did it with, how many I did it with, how long I did it, doesn't matter. Looking to Jesus and putting trust in what's already done starts a metanoia, a repentance in your mind. And that leads to a salvation in your soul. But you got to look to him. I'm telling you, you've been forgiven and you've been reconciled, but you don't even know it. Your prayer doesn't save you. Your prayer is acknowledgement of what's already been done. But for what has already been done to you to be effectual in the immediacy of your life, you have to say, Jesus, I see that. I trust in that. And so that's why Jesus said, Jer, he said, one lost person that repents heaven goes crazy over because they recognize what was already done. So maybe you're the one that he had to put on his shoulder and march back home and say, Dad, I found him. Or maybe you're the lost coin that didn't even know you were lost and he swept the house and he says, Hey, I found him. Or maybe you're the lost boy that went away from home. You had a metanoia in a pig pen and you came home. Or maybe you're the lost one in the house that he had to go to the backyard to find you. Because you were having a pity party about what you thought God hadn't done for you. It doesn't matter, man. Lost is lost. Lost is lost. But the beautiful thing is we can all be found. If you're in this room today and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus, and maybe there's been, I don't know, some kind of block between you and him, 
man, I would love to pray with you today and to see that block removed. If that is you and you say, Pastor, I want to receive the love of God today. I needed to wash over me. I want to receive his life. I'm going to count to three. All I want you to do is just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 20 years. I'm not asking you, do you want to be saved? I'm asking you to receive the love and life of Jesus. And that is salvation. One, two, three. Anybody at all, you just want to receive the love and life of Christ. I see that hand, brother. I see that hand, brother. see that hand. Come on, wait, church. Would you just pray with me right now? Everybody all together, I see your hand, sir. Would you say this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your example. And thank you for your faithfulness. I trust you. I don't know it all. But I trust you with my life and with my destiny. I put my faith in you. You keep me when I can't even keep myself. I repent. I look to you. Thank you. In your name I pray. See, we don't know how to throw parties yet on the earth. We're still learning. You know what? One of the first legitimate parties in the Bible, can I tell it to you? Is in a prodigal son story. You know what American church tells you? When somebody comes to you and they've been in a sinful lifestyle, what you do, brother, is you punish them. But you know what the father did, who's symbolic of Father God in this story? When his son came back home, he said, hey! Get the music ready. We about to have a barbecue. And they went to dancing. <laughs> what do you think the sun was doing? The sun's going, but I didn't. Did you tell you know why I, I, you know where I'm coming from, right? You know what I just got done doing, right? And the father said, Yeah, party. We come to God trying to confess everything we've done wrong. When we just sang it, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrong, but bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Welcome home, son. I got nothing but parties. And you know what parties lead to? Transformation. So for the ones who just raised their hand, I don't want them to have to wait till they get to their house. Right now, they're at this house. I want to count to three. Watch this. As if it was your mom, dad, brother, sister, sibling, son, daughter, or granddaughter, or grandson. I want you to go stupid crazy for a little bit. Because I want all of Edmund and all of heaven to know the lost just got found. You ready for that? One, two, three. Go for it. who has a metanoia who has a metanoia who has a metanoia I just shared a simple gospel message with you I just shared a simple gospel message with you today we're going to go out and we already got a party ready for you we're going to eat on your behalf play cornhole I'm dangerous on your behalf put put on your behalf and this is what we'll do for all eternity. I say this in my closing. You know what your Bible ends with? A meal. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. <laughs>
We'll have communion. We'll have fun. All around us, plate of food. And that's exactly what we're about to do. I'm so glad you came. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.